the gospel according to John. And I'm so excited about each and every one of you who is here today. It is by divine appointment. I would ask you to turn your attention with me to verse 18. In the gospel according to John, if you don't have a copy of the Bible, just look at the screen, the 70-inch screen. That looks smaller than the 52-inch, but the technology, how about that? And here's what the word of God says. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show to us since you do these things? Jesus answered and he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said to him, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And how will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Verse 22. Let's read that together. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them. And they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. Recently, my wife and I received a check. I ain't telling you how much. In the mail, it was from our insurance company. And they were reimbursing us for water damage that had been done to our kitchen and living room floors. Water had severely damaged both of those rooms. And uh, we had already had the work done. We're just trying to get equal compensation. And of course, uh, that did not happen. But we're grateful for what we did receive. But it got interesting. I had no idea of how complicated a process it is to cash a check in your name. When you get a reimbursement check from the insurance company, the bank has a very intricate procedure that you must follow. If two names are on the deed of the house, both persons have to sign in the presence of a bank manager in a local branch. But before you can go into the local branch, you've got to call the national office, the mortgage um, agency or or, uh, part of the bank and get permission for them to set up an appointment. And you have to do all of this in terms of getting your money, even just for a simple deposit, you have to do it during banking hours, which means that both my wife and I who work during the day uh, would have to figure out how we could both be in the same place at the same time. Finally made an appointment to get the money into the account at the same bank that we uh, do our transactions at, only to arrive and the bank manager smiles and says, 
can you come back on another day? To that, I responded, no. And he said, well, I have this family that I need to deal with. Now, remember, the only person that could do the transaction is the branch manager. What he was preparing to do, any of his staff could have done. So we waited 30 minutes. And most of the time as we're waiting, he's laughing and joking with the family. It must have been friends. I don't know. So finally, we are able to sit in front of the bank manager. And all I want is sign. Let us sign on a dotted line. Be about our business. It's been a long day. I'm tired. The spirit is willing. But the flesh so he proceeds when we finally sit down that he needs to tell us about the history of the policies and procedures of the Wells Fargo Bank, the most upstanding <laughs> bank that uh, you could uh, have as your personal institution for holding on to your money. We didn't need to know about the policies and procedures of the bank and why they are so meticulous and why you got a sign in their presence. It has to be. A, he went through the whole thing. So if I had been a little lighter in complexion, you would have seen my face turn red. Dark guys turn red, too. You just can't tell. <laughs> so I'm listening. And then he said, oh, I noticed that you are a pastor. So? I'm thinking it. Of course, I'm too spiritual to say it. I'm saying, and how long have you been a pastor and living in Delaware? And then my wife, she didn't nudge me like she normally would do to tell me to be nice. Because I'm sitting there really thinking this dude is purposely trying to agitate me. He's doing this on purpose. All he got to do is put his little signature, and we out. So then as we continue to talk, he says, I know you. Your son, and he called Tony's name, and we went to the same church, and I was a part of the, I'm caring about this. So my wife is kind of, was be nice. Be nice. I'm thinking, what does anything that this man is saying to me right now have to do with him taking care of business? I'm saying, so what about the policy and procedures of the bank? So what you knew my kids 35 years ago? So what I'm in the, I'm here. Now, some of you say, oh, the pastor should never feel like that. Well, guess what? I guarantee that you've been in situations where people feel like they got to tell you everything they know. And you're sitting there and you at your physical presence say that you're there. But in your mind, you're thinking, so what? What in the world does anything that you are saying have to do with me? In fact, let me just be even brutally honest. All over the country on this day, around this time of the year, pastors 
are preaching about the same event, the resurrection. But if you were anything like me when I was growing up, when I was listening to the preacher preach, I was actually saying, so what? Easter was Easter bunnies, God eggs, and waiting for the offering so I could walk around the offering plate with my one dollar and everybody could see what I had on. And then when I got home, I would get my little five dollars in Philadelphia, get on the bus, and we would all go down to the arcade. That's what Easter meant to me. It meant nothing about. And so in the silence of my mind, as I said in the audience, yes, we had to go to church on Sunday, on Easter Sunday. That was the one time of the year we went. But really, I was saying to myself, so what? What does the resurrection of Jesus have to do with me? Except that one time of the year, we got new outfits. And most often, I would get the double-sided jacket. So when I got finished wearing one side, I could turn it over. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one time we got the straw cane, those hats, a circular cane, a straw hat. Oh, you couldn't tell me anything. So maybe you're here today for one reason or another, and you're asking the question, if you're honest, so what? What is this all about? I have to tell you, I have come to have a greater appreciation for what it means for those who are dying. I don't know how many over over the 14 years I've been doing hospice, I've watched thousands of people die. And I've watched loved ones hold on to their hands, pleading with them, don't go. So my thoughts have changed about when somebody you love is leaving. The resurrection really is what it's all about. So I want to answer the question today with five reasons why the resurrection is so important and it shouldn't be a so what. Let me give you four, five reasons why you shouldn't be asking the question anymore after you leave today. So what? First of all, the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus is a sign that proves that he is who he claimed to be. Jesus is who he claimed to be. The resurrection proves that. In John chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, we read it. I'm going to read it again. So the Jews answered him, said, show us a sign. Prove that you're the Messiah. Prove that you are Emmanuel with us. Prove that you and God are one. Show us something. Give us a symbol. Give us proof. And Jesus replied, if you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up again. And they hear, what is three days? Wait a minute. You see this building right here? It took 46 years. And so the promise that Jesus made, he said, if you destroy my body, I'm going to raise it up. The perplexity in the minds of those who heard Jesus make the statement about the temple of his temple being raised in three days. They thought he was talking about something physical. They were like Nicodemus when, when Jesus says, Nicodemus, I know you are 
a religious instructor, you're a professor, probably taught in seminary, had all kinds of credentials. He was a part of the Sanhedrin, uh, 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 the Sanhedrin, the highest ruling court in Judah uh, uh, among the Jews, which was equivalent to our Supreme Court. But he said, Nicodemus, let me clue you in on something. You must be born again, born from above. And Nicodemus said, wait a minute, I'm an old man. Can I re-enter into my mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus thought that Jesus was talking about physical rebirth. And so those in the audience that asked Jesus to show a sign, they thought he was talking about the physical building. And then he made it very clear. He said, I'm not, he, he said, he was talking about his physical body, literally dying, and then three days later, being brought back from the dead. Even his disciples didn't understand it until after Christ was resurrected. And the Bible says once he was resurrected from the dead, then not only did it become clear to them, but then they could match the scriptures with the prophecy that Jesus made. They didn't have a clue. And so the fact that Jesus rose from the dead proves that he is who he said he was. There's a man who was a nationally known speaker and he was going to the O'Hara Airport. And if any of you ever traveled out of Chicago, O'Hara Airport used to be the busiest airport in the country. So he's running late and he's just about to miss his flight. And he gets there and to his surprise and shock. The airport is completely packed wall to wall people. He's not going to make his flight. And so as he's trying to make his flight, he's perspiring and he's nervous and he's pacing. He just wants to get up to the front, get his ticket. This was before you could check in outside, pre-boarding, all that, none of that. Somebody, a, a tall gentleman recognizes him and he says, sir, sir, are you OK? He says, look, I'm, a, I'm the keynote speaker. People pay thousands of dollars to hear me. It's, I, I'd rather miss my flight. And he says, well, where are you going? He tells him where he's going. He said, don't worry about it. Follow me. So he gets out of the line. And he follows this gentleman. He said, I'll make sure you get to where you got to go. And so the man is walking through the airport and, and he decides to stop in the, in the men's room. He's all brushing his hair and cleaning and flossing his teeth. And then he bends over and he said, wait a minute, sir. I told you that I needed to make my flight. I'm going to miss the plane. You told me that you could help me. And here you are taking your good sweet time. He said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We will make this flight. We will get to it. He said, well, how can you be so sure? He said, I'm the pilot. <laughs> now, it's one thing for the man to say that he's the pilot. It became a whole more. It became surreal and real when the pilot ushered him in onto the onto the airport. And the pilot goes into the cockpit, sits behind the control panels, and he gets the okay to depart. Now what he claimed to be true is proven to be true because he did it. Jesus claimed to be the son of God. He claimed to be the Messiah. But the proof that he is who he said he was is that he rose. He rose. He rose. Here's a second reason why it matters. The resurrection proved that Jesus has power over life and death. In John chapter 10, verses 17 through 18, you want to write these verses down. We're not going to drill down too deep, but these are verses that you can go back and look at later today. Therefore, my father loves me. That's what Jesus says. 
because I lay down my life that I may take it again. He says, I lay down my life that I might take it. And here's the key phrase, not the phone. That's a nice tone, or tone, whatever it is, ringtone. Mm-hmm. I'm old. Don't, don't worry about it. No one takes it from me. Listen to what Jesus says, but I lay it down. And I have the power to take it up again. This command I have received from the Father. So Jesus says, I'm going to voluntarily give my life. But understand something. No one can put me to death. I must surrender my spirit. And when I die, I have the power to command what has died to get up again. Now, anybody can say that they have that kind of power, but the resurrection proves that Jesus, in fact, has power, life and death. Listen to what happens. In, it was through the three of the illustrations where Jesus shows that he has power over life and death. This this really touched me in Luke chapter seven, verses 12 through 17, when you get a chance. And because it was so powerful to read it to you, I know you want to hear it. Jesus raises the widow's son while. The body was being taken to the graveyard. They're, they're heading to the graveyard. The hearses are driving to the cemetery. The funeral service is over. They've done the eulogy, all the crying and everything. They're getting ready to put the corpse into a sepulcher, into an open tomb. And so when Jesus sees this funeral procession, this is what the Bible says. And when he came near to the city, behold, a dead man, say dead man, was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. She was the only, he was his, her only child. And a large crowd from the city was with her. When Jesus saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said, do not weep. Now, can you imagine? Your only child, your widow, you're getting ready to put his body in the grave, and a total stranger walks up to you, and you're the mother, and you're saying, don't weep. Now, some of us would have messed up right there. We'd have been, we would have been, we'd have been, what are you trying to tell me? This is my only son. She didn't respond in rebellion. This is what happened. Then he came and he touched the open coffin. Some of us don't even want to walk by a coffin. Jesus touches the coffin. Somebody say amen. And those who carried him stood still. They stopped the hearse. And he said, young man. I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he presented himself to his mother. Jesus stopped the man on the way to the graveyard that had been dead. And called forth his spirit and caused that which was dead to become alive. What kind of God is this? Do you remember the story? The story of Lazarus, Jesus' friend, in, Mark, in John chapter 11, Mary said, Mary and Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lazarus was already at the graveyard in the sepulcher, in what we would call a grave. He'd been there for four days, dead. And by the time that Jesus arrived, his body had decompensated. Rigor mortis had set in. In fact, 
Mary and Martha said, we love him, Jesus. But by now, if you open up this tomb, if you exhume this body, it's going to stink. And Jesus prayed. And he said, Lazarus, Lazarus, Lazarus. It doesn't say he said it three times, but for illustration's sake. Come forth and Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, woke up. Now, here's the amazing thing. He woke up and he was now alive. He was dead, he's now alive. He couldn't, he couldn't come to Jesus because he was still wrapped in grave clothes. That's what the Lord does when we get saved. He gives us new life, gives you, makes you alive spiritually, but we're still wrapped in grave clothes. We still have our own nature and we have to be loosed. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He'd been in the graveyard for four days. And then there's a story about the daughter of Jairus. Jesus gets the call. My daughter's uh, in cardiac arrest. She's in terminal condition. She's denying. She's dying. And then by the time Jesus gets there, because how many of you know that Jesus doesn't see obstacles the way we do? He sees them as opportunities. And sometimes you can be late, but on time. And so when he finally gets there, everybody's just crying hysterically. There's nothing more heartbreaking than to watch your own child die. So when Jesus gets there, the girl is dead. She had just recently died. She's still in the bed where she had died in. And Jesus says to the crowd that is in the room, stop crying. She's not dead. And they look at him like he's insane. Let's get this guy 302. Let's get this guy in a, in a straitjacket because he's saying, and he goes in and he calls the young girl forward and she who was dead is brought back to life. Isn't it good to know a savior like that? The resurrection proves that Jesus has power over life and death. Now notice that in each of the three examples that I gave you, that Jesus gives life to that which was dead at different stages of death. How many of you know that a person who dies 3,000 years ago is just as dead as a person who dies 15 minutes ago? Dead is dead. It don't. Here's the good news. It doesn't matter to Jesus like nurses. They got to give you the time of death. You got to have that on your butt, on your death certificate. It doesn't matter if you died 3,000 years ago or 10 minutes ago. The Jesus that I serve can come into the room where death has next life and he speaks. And that which was there is now given new life. It doesn't matter how long the person's been dead because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And though a man dies, though we die, we shall see. We're going to live again. Somebody say amen. So what? What are you talking about? Jesus has power over life and death. That's the so what? This Jesus who illustrated his power also promises that he's going to raise us again. Here's another passage. See, this is what's scary with Christians. And this is where I used to be. If you had asked me to give you the four Gospels, or you would blow my brains out, you'd have just had to kill me. I went to church, but I didn't know the Bible. We say we're Christians, but we don't know the importance of the resurrection. 
You're making plans for your, your temporal future, but what about your eternal future? We are in the land of the dying, going to the land of the living. Life is temporal, but eternal life, it's forever. Have you made your reservations? Here's what Jesus says. He says in John chapter 6, verse 40, write this down. And this is the will of God. Of, of God. This is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees Jesus and believes in him may have what? Everlasting life. And here's what Jesus says. I will raise him up at the last day. There's going to be a great resurrection. The physical body will be reunited with the, with the spiritual body that's in the presence of the Lord right now. That's God's plan for you through Jesus, that he who has power over life and death will raise you one day. That's why Christians look at death differently. Death is truly in the eyes of the beholder. What's attractive to one is ugly to somebody else. But when we see death through the eyes of God, we know that blessed, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Why? Because you rest from your labor and to be absent from your body means that you are ushered into the very presence of the Lord. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Paul got a glimpse of heaven and what he saw was so glorious. The Lord said, you can't tell anybody what you saw. So why would the Lord tell Paul not to share what he saw? Because if we knew what heaven was really like, a lot of people would be committing suicide to get there. Heaven is a glorious place. But you got to leave here. To get there. Somebody say amen. amen. Jesus has power of life and death. The resurrection proves that Jesus is who he claims. The resurrection also proves that Christ, who was dead, is now alive and he's coming back again. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, with all the turmoil and craziness and the heartbreak and the woundedness and some of us are guilty of hurting people and twisting the knife and, and, and breaking people's hearts, people that you trust and believe in, and sometimes they even intend to do what they say. But how many of you know that we're, we're not perfect? Okay. <clears throat> For the rest of you guys, I am imperfect. But the resurrection proves that Christ who was dead is now alive. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, it says, And I am he who lives. And was dead. He really was crucified. He that knew no sin became sin for you and for me. He's your substitutionary atonement. It should have been you. It should have been me. But he took our place. The Bible says while we were yet in our sins. What did God do to prove how much he loved you? He said that he gave Jesus to die for you and for me. Aren't you glad about that? I'm he who lived and was dead. And behold. I'm alive forevermore. Amen. Somebody say amen. And he said, guess what? I got the keys to hell and death. 
Stop praying, devil, you can't have my mama. Devil, you can't have my child. He ain't going to die. I decree, I declare, I take authority. No, you don't. The only person I know who has keys over hell and death ain't you. His name is Jesus. You don't believe that? <laughs> the word says that he has the keys. The only door, the only time the door of hell is unlocked for people to spend eternity separated from God. Hell is a real place of torment is when you die rejecting Jesus. The one who is the resurrection and the life. He's coming back through the clouds for must see TV. This is going to be must see TV. Revelation chapter one, verse seven. Says, Behold, he's coming with clouds and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen, must see TV. You, I don't care what your agenda is that day. Hopefully you won't be here because the church has already been taken. But when he comes back through the clouds, every eye. He who was dead is now alive, seated at the right hand of the father in glory and bodily form. When Stephen was being stoned to death and he prayed as Jesus did on the on the cross, uh, uh, Jesus was saying the first thing he said on of the seven last words. And he kept saying. Forgive them for they know what they do. When Stephen, the first deacon, one of the first deacons were being stoned for preaching Jesus. He looked up into the heavens and he was saying, Father, forgive them. For they know not what to do. But guess who he saw? The Bible says Jesus, who was sitting, who sits at the right hand of the Father, stood up. He stood up. How how was he able to see Jesus? Because the Jesus he saw is the same one that in Acts chapter one, verses ten and eleven, it says he ascended. He went back into glory, and the and the, the apostles saw him. And, and they were they were just dumbfounded. And the angel said, why do you stand here confused? The same Jesus who's been taken up, who's ascending, will come back in like manner. He went back to heaven in bodily form. Sitting in heaven is a glorified man. Jesus existed in the form of God in spirit and spirit in spirit form prior to the before taking on the human flesh. But when he went back. He went back in a glorified physical form. He raised resurrection means to be raised bodily from the dead. He was dead is now alive. He also, the Bible says he's coming back with resurrected believers. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even God will bring him with those. Even God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. It's interesting that when the Bible refers to those who have died, who are Christians, it doesn't say they died. He says they sleep. This is not soul sleep. This is not annihilation. This is not ceasing from existence. It simply means when a person dies, the soul is separated from the body. The body remains its physical shell. But when Christ comes back, he's coming back for the physical shell in whatever form it is. So we're holy Lord, going to come back for our physical body. Some people have been dead so long, ain't nothing but dust. Guess what he formed the first man out of? He made something out of nothing. He took the dirt of the earth and he formed Adam. And the Bible said he breathed into the nostrils of Adam. The body was physically finished. But, but Adam didn't become alive until the Lord breathed into his nostrils. And the Bible said he became a living nephesh, a living soul. He's coming back, church. Are you prepared? 
I used to be so afraid I'd be in the movies or doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing. I said, Lord, please don't come while I'm watching this movie. I just want to see this one. I just want to see acrimony. <laughs> I just want to see scandal. I, I just... <laughs> I used to really believe that the Lord made his plan strictly on how I was living and that salvation was conditioned. And so if I wasn't acting right, he could take it back. That's not how if you're part of the family of God, you never stop being a part of the family of God. God's got some bad children. <laughs> some of us act like baby's kid. But the Bible says that those who God love, he chastens. Somebody say amen. You still with me? The resurrection proves that Christ, who was dead, is now alive and is coming back. Here's the fourth thing. The resurrection proves that Christ will give you a new incorruptible body. I was thinking about all the little aches and pains, and I'm still a young man, just 27. <laughs> Lord, has that man had a hard life. <laughs> But one day, this corruptible body will take on incorruption. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, here's another verse. He is the first fruit. He's the prototype of them that rise from, that rise and never shall die again. Jesus is not, is not the first person who was resurrected. He's the first person who was resurrected who never died again. That was the thing. Everybody's praying for Lazarus. And you my brother, my brother will not die. And he got resurrected. I can't imagine how Lazarus, wait a minute, you're making me come back to this? I got to leave glory to come back to this and then die again? Jesus is the prototype. He's the first fruit. We are going to be like him. The Bible says it does not yet appear what we shall be. But when we see Jesus, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. He will give you a new resurrected body. The Bible says that no flesh and blood can inherit the kingdom of earth, the kingdom of heaven. So you can't go in this beat up model. You know, it's just like when, when before they can operate on you, they have to decontaminate the room. Everything has to be sterile. The doctors have to wash their hands somewhere. They got to have the gloves put on them. All the instruments have to be clean. Well, heaven, whatever the operation room is to keeping you safe and uninfected, heaven is a million times more pure. And so if we went back to heaven in our current state, we would pollute everything that was in heaven. But the Bible said this corruptible body shall take on incorruption. This mortal body shall take on immortality. The natural shall take on supernatural because the Lord is going to give you a brand new body. No more sickness, no more pain, no more tiredness. Somebody know what I'm talking about? You don't ever get tired. You don't ever get sick. You don't ever get tired of, of, of loved ones dying and going to funerals and Picking, you don't, you know, one day we won't have to do that anymore because the Bible says we're going to be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, and the world changes, metamorphosize. You're going to be changed from one form into another form. You're going to be made unto the body of Jesus. He could walk through doors, he could eat whatever he wanted to eat and never gain a pound. Oh, God! Oh, Lord! What a day! What a time. Oh, Lord, I can just see myself. Oh, the Lord's got a banquet table. Oh, anything that you want, I can just imagine. No more dieting. No more exercise. 
you're going to get a brand new body. He's going to allow you to enter into heaven. You know what makes heaven so special? It's where God is. I mean, I can't wait to see my mother. I can't wait to. And guess what? When you see mom, she's going to be. She ain't going to be like mom was. And she ain't going to be saying, baby, come here. Because she's going to be like Jesus. She's going to be your spiritual sister. The only relationship that lasts forever is our relationships to one another in the body of Christ. We are, there's, okay, that's a whole nother thing. I don't want to upset anybody, but you know who I want to see when I get to heaven? I want to see Jesus. I want to see his nail pierced hands. I want to thank him because when I didn't deserve it, I really should have been dead. I really deserve judgment. I really deserve I want to see him. I can't imagine that I'm going to be standing looking into the eye. I see myself falling at his feet. The resurrection proves that Christ will give you a new body. Here's the final thing. And the most important of all, the resurrection proves that Christ can and will forgive you of every sin that you ever committed. Listen to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 17 through 19. If Christ had not been risen, your faith is worthless. The whole of Christianity stands or falls on a resurrected Savior. If Jesus never got up, he's like Buddha. He's like Krishna. He's like all the other false prophets. He's just a man who died. The resurrection is what Christianity is all about. The tomb where Jesus was buried is empty. Somebody say amen. And here's the thing. He says, if Christ is not risen, you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ, they're lost. Your loved ones are still lost. And if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're the most miserable people to be pitied. If this is all that it is, when you die, if you're really done, what a sad state. Because life is so short. You blink and it's gone. So I said, I can't wait until I'm grown. I can't wait until you better slow your little self down. Man, they done put the accelerator. They got hypercharge on, on my life. Once you pass 50, it's like they put two pedals on the accelerator. Hey, uh, wait a minute. And by the time you figure it out, your face clears up, your mind is gone. <laughs> the resurrection proves that every sin that you and I could ever commit, past, present, future, that the blood of Jesus Christ satisfied the righteous wrath of God. Your debt has been paid in full. You were overdrawn. You were going into bankruptcy. They were about to take you in cuffs. You, you broke every law. You were guilty as charged. And yet when you look at your spiritual account in Jesus, debt counsel. <laughs> debt counsel paid in full by the blood. By the blood, he had to die. He didn't 
for himself, but he took your place and he took my place. And because he hung there, he was now able on the other side of the cross to say, all power, all authority in heaven and on earth is in my hands. The resurrection proves that he forgives and can forgive all of our sins. One of my favorite episodes in the Alfred Hitchcock uh, uh, the, the, the series. Thank you. Some of you are familiar with Alfred Hitchcock. It's called The Final Escape. Anybody ever see that? The Final Escape. Check that out. A man named John Peters is sentenced to 15 years in prison for bank robbery. And as they are taking him away to 15 years of hard labor on a lumber and a, and a lumber incarceration facility, he yells out to the judge, to the bella. He said, I'm going to kill all of you. When I get out, I swear on my mother's grave that each one of you will never forget this day. And he's screaming and he's kicking and he finally gets to jail and he meets a man named Doc. Some of you might remember this. Doc has been in prison for a long time and he's risen in the ranks of the prisoners and he's been given authority over cleaning the infirmary, the place where people come and get medications. But he also is the guy who takes bodies to the grave and assists with burial. So Doc approaches John Perry and he says, listen, I know you want to get out. I know you feel like you got a raw deal. So here's what I need. My grandmother needs a operation and I don't have the money. If, you, if she doesn't get the operation, she's going to die. I know you got money. So here's the deal. If you pay for my grandmother's operation, I'll make sure you escape. So what's the plan? OK, here's what we're going to do. The next time you hear the bell toll three times, that means that I'm taking a body to the graveyard. And so you need to get here from your cell. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to put you inside of the casket with the dead person. We're going to bury you. And then when the guards and the grave diggers leave, I'm going to return. And I'm going to get you out of the grave. John Perry said, brilliant idea. When can we do it? He said, just listen for the, the bell to toll three times. The night came, it was raining, it was lightning and thundering, and the bell, ding, ding, ding. This was it. So John Perry runs through the infirmary, he finds the casket, and he jumps in, and he slides the top over, and now he's smiling from ear to ear. I'm going to get that judge, I'm going to get that bell, the lawyer's going to die, I'm going to get my revenge. And now they're walking to the grave site. And he can feel himself being lowered. And as he's being lowered, he's not afraid. He's smiling. He's grinning. Can't wait until I'm dug out of this. And I'm going to get my I'm going to get even. So now he feels the dirt coming on top of the casket. And he's still smiling. He's laughing. And I'm going to really finally get this thing. An hour passes. And John Perry's still in the grave. Two hours pass. And he's waiting for Doc. Where's Doc? When is he going to start digging me out? 
When is he going to keep his part of the deal? I paid for his grandmother's uh, medical. When, when is he going to do? And then three hours pass, four hours pass. And then finally, the shawl that is on the face of the man that he's buried next to slips off. And the flashlight he has, and guess who's in the casket with him? It's Doc. <laughs> Doc had a heart attack the day before. And so someone else buried that casket. Who are you trusting to get you out of the grave? Who are you trusting to get you out of the grave? Would you stand? So what? The resurrection proves Jesus is who he said he was. He has power over life and death. That he's going to give you a brand new body. That he who once was dead is now alive and he's coming back again. But the most important thing. The, res the resurrection proves that Jesus can forgive you of all your sins. And unlike Doc, when the trumpet of God sounds, the dead in Christ are going to rise. We want to be snatched up to meet the Lord in the air. With every head bowed and all eyes closed.